This is our disclaimer. The statements made and opinions expressed during this podcast are our own personal statements and opinions and should not be construed as those of any entity or institution that we may have been employed by or affiliated with at any time in our professional lives. Additionally, we take patient confidentiality incredibly seriously. For that reason, any reference to stories about patients have purposely been modified so as to not identify any particular patient or location. Finally, while we are both doctors, nothing that we say in this podcast should be construed as medical advice. If you are in need of medical advice, please contact your personal physician. Remember that although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to ER Docs, Crucial Talks. We're here with another great episode. Today, I'm here with my co-host, Colin. Colin, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. How are you doing? Good, man. It's been a while. It's good to yeah. see you. Yeah. Yeah, it has been a while. How you been? Uh, Good man, just staying busy. Uh, yeah. Similar to I know you, uh, exercising a lot. Kind of been yeah. on a kick as well. Um, I know you're going to yeah, talk so. about that, but uh, yeah, doing well. it's great, man. Living the dream. That's, That's awesome, I man. I I see a, a really uh, serene setting behind you, which is always nice when we record. Um, no matter what's going on in my day, I can count on your background to calm me down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know you got, uh, I know you got some exercise in today and then kind of like got to, you know, get some steam in and then relax a bit. Um, yeah, man. I, so for the last uh, 10, 11 months, I decided that I was going to legitimately start changing things about my health. And the sort of the, uh, the thing that spawned all this was, so I went to the doctor uh, right around when this all started, and uh, instead of him telling me, this is my personal doctor I've known for years, instead of him telling me, hey, everything's great, you know, he was kind of hinting at the blood sugars getting up just a little bit, it's still a normal range, but kind of he didn't like the trends, the cholesterol, which has been an issue, kind of still trending upward, and he was noting that my weight was going up, and probably like most early guys in, it, in their early 40s, they probably come home and just tell their wife, you know what, everything was fine. I got a clean bill of health, but I knew better, you know, because I yeah. I frequently see see these guys like you do in the ER, and they're definitely not having a great day when they're seeing us. Uh, and what do we hear? Oh, I just saw my doc. He gave me a clean bill of health. And then you go look at the doc's note, and it's like, no, <laughs> that's not what he said to you. So I said, I got to do something about it. And I wanted to uh, connect my physical health and well-being with my mental health and well-being meaning i wanted to you know continue on this journey that you and i have started about self-awareness and sort of spiritual access with just feeling better and uh, you know losing weight and, and and being on an appropriate diet anyway so during my runs i'm running like nine to ten miles a day uh on my running days I run about five days a week and i'm training for a half marathon which is coming up here soon and i Listen to the coolest things, I think. I listen to Tim Ferriss, who we've talked about, Shane Parrish from The Knowledge Project, uh, Sam Harris um, from Making Sense. And from one of these podcasts, I, I garnered this concept uh, called Hanlon's Razor. And uh, you and I talked about that a bit before the show and earlier this week about this philosophical mental model that can sort of fit with a lot of us. And we'll talk about that briefly uh, today and, and extrapolate with some of the things that we wanted to talk about and hit on. And I have a case that we can start out with that starts essentially with the concept of what we're going to be talking about, which is that 
we can have a misunderstanding of the world around us, but internally we can feel like we are thinking correctly, acting correctly, and perceiving the world exactly how it should be perceived, though we still may be completely wrong. Um, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever felt like, I, you know, I, I'm looking at this situation, I know exactly how I feel about it, but if you take a step back and kind of delete some of the biases that you have, you start realizing, oh, I can see his perspective. I can see her perspective. I've just kind of been self-centric here and just thinking about what I think is best for me and what, what is best for the world that keeps me in the center of the universe. You ever been there? Oh, absolutely, man. I think anyone that says they're not is lying. And uh, yeah. it's a constant struggle not to go there. Before we go on, can you just um, briefly say what Hanlon's Razor yep. is? That's the basically the topic of this yep. podcast. Absolutely. Uh, Yep, absolutely. So Hanlon's razor, I'm going to just kind of tell you what you pull out of Wikipedia and then we'll briefly talk about it. And it says it's a mental model that's best summarized as this. Never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by neglect. So in, in brief, don't presume conspiracy and the world is out to get you when you can plausibly explain things by people not paying attention to what they're saying or doing, being neglectful or not at all being conspiratory or not at all being or acting in a way to attack you or conspire against you. But it just so happens that because of the way you're perceiving the world with the feelings that you're feeling, you're feeling disenfranchised. Therefore, you're presuming that everybody around you who is not doing exactly what you expect them to do is conspiring against you. Right. So don't attribute, seven- don't attribute malice. What could be just due to neglect or, uh, you know, I've even seen it worded as stupidity or, yeah, or ignorance or, or whatever. Or coincidence. Coincidence. So a prime yeah. example, right, is yeah. you're driving and some car just like comes speeding by and cuts you off. Right. Yes. And so, I mean, I get mad. And especially Me in too. my younger yeah. days, I would just yeah. be like, oh, this guy, what a jerk, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you assume that it's malice. Whereas the reality is the person might just uh, have not looked in their rear view mirror or thought they had right. their blind spot cleared and it wasn't. Right. And right. they just moved over and they were just being neglectful some for some reason. And they accidentally right. cut you off, you know? Right. And so you have the ability, right, to assume one or the other and how why is it yeah i don't know we ultimately i feel like go to the malice and you said you have a case that kind of i i do and 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 I, before i get to that to, to your point it's isn't it interesting that when that's something like that happens we often delete from the narrative that we've done that exact same thing we've cut somebody off yeah. we've done and, and and all of a sudden we are projecting onto the world things that we've done and do but we delete it from the rep- our repertoire we delete it from the narrative and and like you said it's we have this guttural reaction that we were wronged and it comes out of where does it come from it just comes instantly out of somewhere and we're consumed by it but what we're going to talk about in today's episode is that we have a choice in whether or not we participate in that line of thinking or adopt Hanlon's razor and say, we don't have to go down that dark pathway. We don't have to make our mind create our own prison. And before we, um, before we do the case, I, I, I love the saying, the mind is a excellent servant, but a terrible master. 
you can make your mind do all sorts of tasks when you tell it what to do. But when you have it control your life and when you follow your mind into the darkness of some of these thoughts, it's a terrible master. So that being said, I have this case many years ago uh, when, you know, we often talk about coming out of residency and we're attendings and everything's so new to us in terms of making big decisions, uh, in mm-hmm. particular, the ones that are not just like working up some simple chest pains or belly pains that are going to go home, get a CAT scan, follow up with a doctor. The ones that where life and death is really right there. And my decision is pivotal on what happens. So an elderly uh, an elderly woman comes into the emergency department and she is suddenly at home, this very independent woman, lightheaded, dizzy, and uh, just not kind of making sense to the family. So rather than call an ambulance, as we often see, they get her in the truck and they bring her into the emergency department. And on arrival, the first thing we do and the team does is some vital signs. And we find out that her heart rate's in the 20s. So 20 to 25 beats a minute. It's not compatible with life, at least not for long. Some people are dead at 20 beats a minute. Some people like this lady have enough efficiency remaining in their body that they can have a heart rate of 25 or 30 beats a minute and still kind of be awake, be real somnolent and sleepy, but still kind of interact. And she was kind of like snoring at times. And then she was kind of like, oh, what's going on? And that sort of thing. And we knew we had to briskly react um, and, and, and do something. This is the hurry up and do something ER doctor. Mm-hmm. And that was my instinct, right? That's what we're trained to do. We are trained and we read up on bradycardia, the study of the slow heartbeat below 60 beats a minute that is symptomatic. And that needs immediate treatment, whether it's medications, electricity, a pacemaker, CPR, you name it, in in any age group. So we rally the team, we get a thousand things going, including those, you know, those paddles, those stickers that go on the chest to start shocking her. And we, I turn it on and I, I, I can adjust the settings like you can dial in an amplifier and you can just dial in her heart rate like a stereo and mm-hmm. she wakes up her blood pressure goes from 60 over 30 to 120 over 80 I, you know i'm roughly making that up but mm-hmm. now she's awake she's like what what's going on ma'am this is what's going on i am I, I get a quick ekg of her heart right before we do this and it shows that she's in complete heart blocks so what happened mm-hmm. is the pacemaker that's built in her body is completely dissociated from her ability to hit those contractions and let her heart do its own beating. So she needs a pacemaker. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. We've got the right doctors in a hospital to take care of this. It's no big deal. Ma'am, this is what's going on. You almost died. Thank goodness you came today. Your family was very smart to bring you here. You just need this very simple procedure. I'm going to call my specialist right away. He's going to come down and put the pacemaker in. Oh, no, he's not. (laughs) Excuse, Excuse me? I don't want anything like that. Oh, oh, I, I guess you don't understand. This is not like major surgery. This is like a very short procedure. You're in, you're out within a couple hours, and then you can like live your life. And it sounds like you're pretty independent at home. I don't want any devices in my body. I've already made that decision. To mm. me, this was cataclysmic. Um, and here's why. I am this doer of good health, this fixer of problems in the medical world in my sphere, my my niche. And this is my niche, bradycardia, symptomatic. She's dead if she doesn't have this pacemaker. She's alive if she gets this pacemaker. It's as simple as that. It's binary. But she doesn't want it. She's in her 80s. And I'm not 
yet allowing myself to accept the fact that she does have this decisional capacity, this ability to make this decision. And you know, when you sit down with your older patients and you ask them, ma'am, sir, if you were to stop breathing, if your heart were to stop, uh, do you want me putting electricity in you, pushing on your chest? And they'll say, no, no, no. And we readily accept that. We readily accept that. But the problem in this case was I had the ability to turn it on and off. If It seemed like it fell in my lap, but she was re, re, relinquishing that from me to take control of her own decision. Even though with the electricity going through this external pacemaker, she was right back to normal. Blood pressure and heart rate. And it was a, a con- fascinating story. I love it. It, was a, it was a conundrum for me. Because it went against everything every yes. doctor's taught me. And nobody ever sat you and I, Cullen, down to say, this would happen. And now you get to, wait for it, pull the plug on your patient who doesn't want to die. She doesn't want to commit suicide. But she didn't want a device. She already a priori said, I don't want this in my body. These are my advanced directives. This comes up to... Hanlon's razor, which is, I felt like she was conspiring against me and my ethics and my conception of what morality and ethical doctoral behavior was. But all she was doing was making her own decision, a decision she had made years prior, a decision that the family supported. When I asked the family, she, she like a little crazy? Is she okay? They said, this was her wishes. I'm not happy about this, doctor. If you can convince her to take the pacemaker, we'll try too. But it is her wishes. So ultimately, oh, I can. I mean, I, I'm getting. I have like, I'm like all sweating just hearing I, this. I'm, I'm, I'm refeel. I'm re-experiencing this. Ultimately, my biggest concern, admittedly, was the medical legal, which is in so much as I was worried about her life. But then I'm worried, mm-hmm. is someone going to look at me saying, I didn't do everything I could to explain. I invoked the family. I, the patient is decisional. And I talked to some senior people who I trusted who said, you got to le- just let her do what she wants to do in this. And I know it's hard for you, Raj, but you got to let it happen. I said, so what? I just turned that machine off. I turned the machine off and she goes to sleep. Well, what do they want to do? Well, they, they want the machine to be turned off, you to take off the pads and her to be discharged to home. Well, what if she survives a little bit? Well, they said that they would take the hospice information. and But, but she was just fine. She was just like talking in the kitchen with her family. I, I think they had some plans to go out and do stuff. That ended, Raj. That ended with this event. Events end people's lives all the time. We don't often get a chance to talk to the dying because they're dying or they're dead. This is your chance to talk to the dying. And she's quite coherent. So I talked to the dying. I talked to the woman. I said, I'm going to, whenever you're ready, reluctantly, take turn this thing off. And uh, I had I couldn't do it alone. I had my colleague in, in the room with me because I was just really nervous about what was going on. I was young. And uh, the family said, we get it. We support it. We've talked to her. These were her wishes. When we turned it off right away, she maintained a heartbeat of about 30 to 40. So she was still awake enough to be coherent and conscious. And she was put in a wheelchair and then brought into her the truck that she came in and uh, with the family member. But she was still awake. 
to, to continue to say, this is what I want. So she goes home and then it, it's a small community where I was working. So hours later, I heard from one of the nurses who knew the family, like she passed and they're okay with it. Don't worry. They're not upset. They're okay with it. I still think about it today. I still think about that process, you know, and like having that, that influence and that proximity to death, maybe because I was scared for myself, but we both had the same experience, this woman and I, in so much as she was having a slow heart rate. I was seeing it. She was seeing it. She was being explained what's going on. I was, she was perceiving it as a very different thing. She was perceiving it as a welcome end of her life. I was perceiving it as her going against the grains of my ethics and morality of being a physician and going against what is good common sense. Though I disagreed with her decision, she was allowed to make what I thought was a terrible decision. Decade and a half later, I look at that and I say, wow, I think she made a great decision. She went out on her own terms. She didn't suffer. She had a condition that once we turned the electricity off, she would kind of go lights out and she did go lights out. She didn't have any pain. Um, she was with her family. She had a doctor explain to her what was going on. She had the option of prolonging this and she had already thought about what she would and wouldn't want. And these are the things that I didn't want to process at the, at the time. Um, two humans can go through the same experience, but have two completely different takeaways of the experience. And Hanlon's razor says to some degree that as we look at the world and perceive what's happening to us, we are choosing to react in a certain way based on our belief systems. Our belief systems are what we call epistemology and are we routinely challenging our belief systems? Did I routinely challenge where I got my beliefs? Where did I get my beliefs that we just absolutely had to keep everybody alive, even if they're telling us they don't want to keep, up, keep them alive? I guess I got it from medical school. I guess I got it from some people that I thought were mentors. I guess I read it in books. I guess my upbringing, my parents, their culture, their religion, uh, what I thought humans do for other humans. But there's this whole other section of life that I sort of like deleted from the narrative and the repertoire, which was people have autonomy to some degree within the spectrum of what we think is legal and allowable and morally and ethically appropriate, which this technically was. Um, that's my case. What are your thoughts? I kind of rambled there. Man, that is a powerful case. And as you told the story, I had so many different thoughts and uh, tell me, you can probably tell from my body language. I mean, it, that's a very, like I get uncomfortable thinking about I that. I saw because, you close off. I saw you close off and I, yeah, I, I get, like my first thought is, oh, she's going to decide Raj just didn't like, she doesn't understand how simple thing a pacemaker is, right. you know? Um, right. And obviously you did explain that because you, and you said, well, no, I, oh no, it's a easy, it's a easy procedure. You know, it's also, we do have ethical things like this in medicine, but rarely are they so binary. You're correct. Like rarely is the technology that we have, so readily available that some cardiologists can just put this, you know, run a, run a wire basically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the inside, you know, around your heart and keep you alive. And it's, we have battery pocket and you're fine, you know? And so you go from being dead to being fine with the pacemaker. So rarely are these ethical end of life decisions that drastic. Right. Yeah, um, right. And right. Um, 
And yeah, I have a hard time. I think it's also hard for me as a human to understand someone being ready to die. Um, and obviously when people reach their eighties, nineties, sometimes earlier, they've had these thoughts for quite some time about what they would do in certain situations. And this woman sounds like had already gone through that mental challenge and was ready for mm -hmm. this. Um, and wanted to, I mean, cause it's true. Her body shut down that part of her heart shut down. And if we didn't have that technology, you know, it, it's a natural death, um, which ultimately is what she had. Um, but man, that is, um, that is really tough. And, you know, I'm sure you did think about that quite a bit for a while and you know, think, what could I have done? And, and it is easy to attribute, like, I, I don't know about attributing ma uh, malice to her decision. Like, I, I'm not quite sure how the Hanlon's razor uh, thing is other than it's like, don't you, you, we make an assumption based on you make, we make an assumption that yeah, everybody yeah. would want this technology. Right. And, but yet people have every right to, and I guess um, I need to delve into the reasoning, but in, in this case, they had a reason not to want it. And uh, um, people have that all the time. I mean, there's, there's, people with all sorts of different levels of what they want to go through medically. Um, so, man, that's really tough. It's real. That's, that's a really tough case. Um, and, you know, I know, you know, you being uh, such a good friend of mine and having someone I know so long, I know that that was probably very challenging for you. I'm sure that you did everything you could to try to, talk her into this and ultimately she had decision-making capacity and her family supported her and you didn't have a choice and that's a tough thing it's a tough thing when you're trained to save somebody you have the means to save somebody and um they don't want it man that's it's uh it's it's heartbreaking to a certain degree and it's also we also have to look at the case that it's also lovely in a certain degree um, from her perspective, I guess, uh, man, that's really, that's a really tough case. That's a, like, that's a, that's like, a tough case. That's, that's, that's going to, you know, we talk about things that weigh on us and that's, that's definitely something. So, I mean, it, it's I, definitely I, made me consider things that are like sort of less binary subsequently. And, as I, as I del delve into um, a link that I'm going to put on the show notes for Hanlon's Razor, they talk about three concepts that sort of create the scaffolding for the framework of Hanlon's Razor. So number one is this concept called the availability heuristic. So in brief, what that means is, and I'll, I'll tie this into the case, we as humans and I know I do this, we misjudge the frequency of bad things that happen in our life. We tend to over-accentuate it. Mm -hmm. After that case, I over-accentuated what I thought were a high number of bad decisions by patients. 
based on my moral compass, based on what I think a doctor should be recommending. And the reality is if I take time to uh, stress test my belief system, my epistemology, and just say, am I, am I really second guessing myself here? Or am I giving myself a gut check? And that gut check is patients make way, way more decisions that I agree with than I'm allowing myself to believe. Because we tend to go to that negative space sometimes, right? Like mm-hmm. The guy that cut us off was intentionally being an ass and just trying to cause havoc on the road. Not at all with a sick kid in his front seat racing to the emergency room. That couldn't mm-hmm. possibly be it. Or wait, could it be? Oh, shoot. Because if that's the case, I guess I wouldn't be as upset. But I didn't allow myself to think that. Um, so that's the availability heuristic. Confirmation bias. We've talked about this forever. We tend to look for things that confirm our bad mental models, our our bad concepts and ideas. We look for things that confirm that. For instance, um, if we had a bad trip in a cab and we just decided we 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 hate cab drivers, anytime we hear a story, as few stories as it possibly may be about someone having a bad cab ride, we're going to be like, yep, that totally confirms what I'm talking about. All cab cab drivers are terrible. And that's absolutely not the case. That can't be the case. We have we are such a small slice of information. When you think about statistics, we, we like to look at statistics in the hundreds of thousands and millions to make a real understanding of like what's scientific statistical probability of something happening. Five stories about bad ca- cab drivers does not speak for the million cab drivers in the country. Yeah, you and know, and it you just go on it, Google and yeah. you Google bad. And, I mean, that's. Yeah. You look for stuff to confirm. Our computers have basically made us go into confirmation bias. It's also, uh, I'm I'm probably jumping in. I should let you finish. No, I I, I like this. I like, go ahead, please. I also think that, you know, the Hamlin's razor, which is attributing malice Mm -hmm. unnecessarily to things that other people do. And sometimes even neutral events. Remember I talked about my guitar breaking. It was almost like someone was out to get me. That's a great example. And yep. like, no one was out to get me and the guitar just broke. Yeah. Like it was right. whatever. Like, so, uh, but the malice thing, think about the internet and how, like, you see that on the comments, like never go down that road of what, looking at the comments because they always delve into exactly. everybody's angry and people just attribute malice to anything that they read or they say. And I feel like it, it really gets almost promoted. You know, there's a, that's how the news is. That's how they get you to, that's what clickbait is, right? It's outrage. Outrage, outrage. Uh, versus the reality is most of these things are neutral or someone was just living their life or just, you know, made a comment on their opinion. And a lot of, a lot of even political um, things that, you know, people get so on one side of a topic or the other. If you think about it, like, even if someone has a completely different opinion on a a very controversial topic politically, they're probably coming at it from what they think that it's a, it's a, it's a better choice for people. You know, they're not coming at it to try to get you. Mm -hmm. And so much of this is outrage and political. And, uh, and so I think Hamlin's razor is, you know, it's like everything else we talk about the, the awareness that it's out there the awareness yeah. that that's what we tend to do. We tend to attribute malice unnecessarily. 
as soon as you realize it, Raj or Cullen, Cullen, you know what? You attribute malice way too much. And everybody listening can say that about themselves because we all do it. Sure. And so if in that, that awareness, and then when, you know, the, the UPS drivers doesn't deliver your thing on time mm-hmm. and, you know, you're like, ah, yeah, that guy, like he probably just, you know, no, you got it. You're aware and then you can relax and then you live a happier, more peaceful life. You know, this, this ties into our four agreements. I mean, that's my all time. I think if I had, you know, we've talked about that. We did a whole episode on that. It's a book called the four agreements. I still look at those every day and they help my life so much better. And once one of them don't make assumptions, don't make assumptions, don't make assumptions. Don't take things personally is another one. Those are related to handling this razor. Don't make assumptions and don't take things personally. And when you can live your life like that, you will be happier. At least I have become happier by living my life like that. You know, so let's, let's, now let's, I ran. But that's okay. I, this, but you bring me to my next point, which is let's, let's talk about some concrete truths that, yeah. and, and, I, and let me, let me practice here. Let's consider these to be concrete truths. Cause I don't know them to be truths for everybody. Things take practice. There is yes. not, you didn't wake up one morning and say, I am now self-aware. You made some kind of active routine effort in a symmetric pattern daily or weekly, monthly with deciding who your resources of information were going to be in the world and deciding how you were going to structure your belief system. For instance, if you said one day to me, I remember you said, Raj, I was just choosing bad things on YouTube to watch in terms of things that are making me angry. And mm-hmm. I, 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 I flipped the script and I, you know, I rewrote the programming and I decided I'm going to watch like cat videos and be like happier and not watch controversial videos. Cause that YouTube is about likes and clicks and we love controversy oh, yeah. because I feel like it, it, it justifies this. It's this concept of we project onto the world, what we don't want to believe about ourselves. So when we see people acting badly, irrationally, we like to make these comments like we are holier than thou, like oh, yeah. we are incapable of ever behaving like that crazy lady on that plane screaming at that p- person who's not even there. We all saw that video of that lady who's like screaming at some guy who's not even sitting there. She must be nuts. I would never do that. I am a better human than the rest of you is what I'm saying. I'm superior to anybody who would connect with that lady. Mm-hmm. And that has to come from some insecurity in myself. As I started realizing on my runs, there, as I'm running and I'm, I'm hitting mile after mile, I'm saying, where's the insecurity coming from? And how do I flip the script? If I can address those insecurities, if I can forgive myself for these insecurities, can I allow myself to actively choose a better belief system? Can I actively stress test my belief system. So for instance, if someone says to me something that I would have immediately believed, if you said, Hey, these, uh, these new batches of, you know, vaccines for this disease, they're, they're going to give you this cancer instead of instantly believing it because the the writing of the article seems so compelling. Maybe I go read some articles in both directions. Maybe I actually do some legwork. Mm-hmm. I actually do some fact checking. You know, they, they, we talked about like, you know, can, can you stress test your belief system and are you willing to do that? And then are you willing to say when you do project yourself, when I would project myself, I realized I was declaring these truths, what I thought were truths about the world as if I came up with them myself. You ever do that where you're like, oh, yeah. this is why 
this is the case in life. As if you did the science, you did the experimentation, you did the surveys, and you came up with the article in like the Lancet or the uh, New England Journal of Medicine. Like you created the topic in the Encyclopedia Britannica. You had nothing to do with it. You're a conveyor of somebody else's idea. And then I asked myself, how many ideas of mine are actually my own ideas? How few of my ideas are actually Raj Kelsey's own brain children, where I actually created my own idea? Probably a very, very small percentage. But for the fact that when I speak, I probably sound convincing. And Mm. I have to be careful that anybody who sounds convincing myself or somebody I'm listening to, if they sound convincing, I have to make sure that I stress test their belief system before I jump and say, yeah, that sounds, that sounds smart. I'm going to adopt it. I like how that sounds. And, you know, maybe they're in some darkness, maybe they're projecting what they don't want to feel and they're trying to escape something. And therefore, you know, that's their sermon on the mound, but I need to stress test their belief system too. And this doesn't have to be complex, right? I mean, this is something you can do routinely, right? One day at a time. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's a thing along the improvement journey that we're all yeah. kind of on, you know. Yeah. Um, and no, it doesn't have to be. It's 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 probably. You know, I might be wrong, but it's probably one of those things where the more you practice it, eventually it becomes who you are. You know, if you tell yourself, "I'm someone that doesn't make assumptions," and that's just who I am, if you tell yourself that. Eventually, and, and you start recognizing when you are making assumptions, you know, you'll probably do it less as a, as a routine, as a habit. Uh, and so I don't think it's hard. I, I think you just start with one time, you know, you just start with, you know, I, I'm making this up, but I'm saying I could probably go through what did I get mad about yesterday? I'm sure I got mad about something and it was probably ridiculous. And that's probably had to do with some assumption you know, that someone else was acting some way. I'll challenge you to this. And one of the the episodes I was listening to, there's this thing called the 21 day, no complaint project. It's Mm -hmm. free. It's easy. And you know exactly what it is for 21 days. You just, you will not complain about anything. And here are the rules. If you have a conflict with something, you're going to say the objective. I have a conflict with this bill. It seems like it's an error. What I'm going to do is I'm going to actually go through the process of figuring out if I am correct or incorrect. I'm not going to complain about it until I know that there's a problem. But you're not going to start out complaining. If you have a conflict yeah. with somebody else, it, it's it's tough. I tried this for 24 hours and it didn't yeah. work out so well. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> but, I, but I'm willing to do it if you're willing to do it. I'll do it with All you. All right, I, I'll do we'll it. Hold, we'll hold each other accountable over text and... Um, if I feel like I'm, you know, near the, near the edge, if I'm near, you know, I'll, I'll text you be like, Hey man, and then we can, we can work it out over text, but it's tough. It's tough. And I was talking to my wife about it and she's like, well, wait a minute, here's, we got to go through all the rules. And I'm like, yeah, so this is the whole point is what do we immediately do when I say 21 day, no complaint project? What are the rules? What are the criteria? Cause we want to find a way out. We, we are not ready to just uh-huh. say, all right, I'm just not going to complain. I'm just, no, I'm just not going to complain. It almost seems like you have to be able to complain to live a fulfilling life. <laughs> yeah. But we know that that's not true. But how do you do that? All right, how let's do, do you, it. I love challenges you know, like that, man. I used to do these types of challenges. I feel like yeah. 
what, 10, 15 years ago um, from, I think I got a lot of them from Tim Ferriss's podcast. I remember I, yeah, he has a I lot did, of great ones. I did one where I tried not to complain. I, I remember it being very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, especially in, in a workplace environment. Um, yeah. Oh, agreed. Uh, and so here's, so, can, I want to, so here, here's the thing about workplace environment I was reading about the same concept, Hanlon's razor. We tend to believe sometimes, right? You, you know, whether you're a corporate job, you work in healthcare, sometimes you get in these ruts where you feel like, you know, the people that kind of manage the place aren't really connecting the dots with like, you know, the boots on the ground, that sort of thing. The reality is no one's, once again, no one's conspiring against us. No one is willing the system to break down. What can sometimes happen, this article is describing is that everybody operates in these isolated cells, right? One manager is in this office kind of doing his or her thing. This guy's doing his thing in his cubicle. This other gal's doing her thing in her area of the business. And everyone's kind of sort of self-motivated with what they want to do and what they want to check off as their like goals for the day, their goals for the week. But sometimes when they, they don't mesh and one person sort of seems to feel like they're bearing the brunt of like all of those things that are not supporting the individual employee, it's got to be a collaborative conspiracy against me and against what I think should be happening in the company. And that just, that's just not the case, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like they talk about, you know, it's neglect. It's not neglect per se, as, as much as it's incidental uh, ignorance, people are sort of ignorant of each isolated cell and there's no like conspiracy here. It's just, Oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that she was doing. That. I didn't know that he had that project going on. Oh, I didn't realize that that was in the budget last year and it was carried over. I had no idea. And no one's actively trying to bring the ship down. And if we can dissociate, twenty-one day no complaint project, dissociate from immediately going to, and I mean immediately going to that guy. I can't believe he cut me off. To, I wonder if he's got a sick kid in the front seat, or what else could possibly be a something that I wouldn't get worked up about on a guy cutting me off. There's probably five or six things. I do need rules for this. I, can we complain Listen. in our own head? Like, are you supposed to not even complain to yourself, like in your own head? Well, let's let's establish that. What do you think? Is that reasonable to like to say, hey, how about this? I mean, you have to have some awareness that you are about to complain. So if you keep it to yourself and then mentally go through, I realize I'm complaining. Now I'm going to go through a process, mm-hmm. a mental process of breaking down. Why am I complaining? What's my insecurity? And is there another way of looking at this? Can I look at it from a different angle? And can I create one example about why I should not be complaining? Can we do that? Can we agree on that? Let's do that. We do, we do in that fact, in our head. Why don't we put this, uh, why don't we come up with this, put it on the show notes. And show so notes. if anybody else and wants to do it, I know some of our too. fans have done so. Well, let's like start this. tomorrow because I got to make some okay. phone calls and let some people have okay. it tonight. <laughs> I, I, just get kidding. it out of your system tonight. <laughs> just get out of my system. Fire, fire yeah. whoever you want to fire tonight. Yeah. yeah. I, if I had the ability. You, you and the yeah. wife want to get in an argument about the cop yeah. Do it tonight. Do it tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, man, this is what I, I'm glad this is. I wanted to keep this talk short and sweet. Hanlon's razor. Um, and, you know, we, I, I love that we we could use a case of mine from the past to kind of delve into these topics. And then now here we ended up with something I've been wanting to do, with, which is the 21 day no complaint project. We'll start it tomorrow. Um, how do you want to end Power, it tonight, man? Powerful case. And uh, we can maybe take this out. But I just when you were first telling the case before it got as heavy as it did, um, I wanted to tell you about my dad 
had a pacemaker. So his heart rate was going pretty low over, yeah. over years, lower and lower. And so they were like, you know, um, Jack, we should, uh, we should put a pacemaker in you. So the, he did get one. And uh, a few years later, uh, several years later, he said he got up and he was like, oh, I feel kind of fatigued and a little dizzy. And uh, so he checks his heart rate and it's in like the upper 20s. It's in the 20s to the 30s. And so he's like, well, that's not good. I guess my pacemaker's not working. <laughs> so so he's like, so he stops and has lunch. And uh, oh, Jack. Come on, wait Jack. for my wife to finish some stuff. And then they drive to the hospital, you know, and he, and he goes to triage and they were like, you know, and they did what I'm sure you and your team did. They were like, uh Oh, like, get yeah, him on a gurney, yeah. like get yeah. him, hook him up to all these wires. And, and he's like, hold on, I got to go to the bathroom first. <laughs> and he's like, they wouldn't let me go to the bathroom. Like, I, you know, like, he's like, I just want to, he's like, they're like, no, we can't let you walk. He's like, what are you talking about? I, this started hours ago. I've been, I ate lunch and, you know, and uh, it was just funny. It turns out his, one of his pacemaker wires, like where it runs under the clavicle, which is the collarbone uh -huh. head, uh, uh -huh. I guess like worn away and the wire broke. And so he Dang, had to get man. some new wiring, but uh, you know, he's, Still got that pacemaker still working. So and you know good. what? He didn't let a good sandwich go to the waste. No. <laughs> Everybody knows Jack Kehoe makes the best sandwiches. So well, I uh, think it's a wonderful. Well, well, cheers to Jack Kehoe. I, I wish him well. Always um, looking forward to getting him on here once again. And uh, I think it's a great way to end it, man. Mm. All right, brother. All right, brother. Signing out, man. All right. Bye.